Okay, so we're holding here in Tanya. We're holding by Perik Yud Beis by chapter 12 in Tanya. Um, chapter 12, we've really been leading up to this through the chapters that brought us to this place. And without going into detail, um, we talked a lot, a number of prokim, where the Altareva built the story of the two souls, the Nefesh Elikis, the Nefesh Bahamis, the godly soul, and animal soul, or vital soul, that there is within every person, every yid, specifically, and the battle of the souls, where the godly soul wants that it should be the one in control, and that the person should, actions and everything about the person, feelings, should be controlled by the godly soul. And the animal soul wants that the animal soul should be in control. And that's the, um, that's the battle. So once he uh, gave us the two teams and the battle, we talked about, okay, so what happens? And basically there's three basic categories. There's the Tzaddik, there's the Russia, and there's the Benini. The, um, and as we've learned all the way back, that this Sefer Tanya is called the Book of the Benini. The Altar named it the Book of the Benini. But nevertheless, in the last two weeks, he discussed the tzaddik and the rasha, right? In, in chapter 10 was the discussion of the tzaddik and all the different levels of tzaddik. Chapter 11 was the rasha and all the different levels of rasha. And chapter 12, which we begin tonight, starts with the word vahabainini. This is really the introduction to the bainini. And as, again, we've said this numerous times, that now is where it really begins, the story of the bainini, the story of the yid, who's the struggler. And that's the, that's the Benini, and that's, that's everyone. Everyone whose avoida is to be the Benini. So, in a, in a basic rule of thumb, the very, in very basic generalization, what's the difference between the Tzaddik, the Russia, the Benini? So, again, very, very basic. And we talked about this, that we're talking about here, not the literal halachic explanation or, or, or category of Tzaddik and Russia. We're talking much deeper than regular category. So the story is like this. The tzaddik is one who the nefesh olikis has won, conquered. The nefesh of Bahamas is not felt in a tzaddik, any level tzaddik. That means there's no battle, there's no struggle, there's no two voices. If one attained, if one reached that level of tzaddik, the nefesh olikis has conquered the nefesh of Bahamas. That's the tzaddik. The flip side, the rasha is someone who the nefesh of Bahamas is able to sometimes conquer the nefesh alokis even when it comes to action. In other words, to do an avera, to actually do an avera, actually the nefesh of Bahamas dominates. That's an act of Russia. There's a million levels of Russia, as we learned last week, but the idea of Russia is that the animal soul went, won, won the battle against the godly soul to the extent that it actually acted out. It did an Avera. The person did an Avera, spoke a word of a, spoke an Avera, it did an Avera, thought an Avera, whatever it was. So the, the Tzaddik has no struggle. The Russia, the God, the animal soul won the struggle. And the person did an Avera. What's the Benini? The perfect Benini. The Tanya perfect Benini is a person who always ha- who has a struggle, but the godly soul wins. So they're they're a benini, they're a perfect benini. They're not a rasha at all because they never do an avera. The benini, as we said so many times, always wins, always wins every battle. And of course, so the question is: so if they always win every battle, why aren't they a tzaddik? The answer is 
Because there's a battle. There is a godly soul and an animal soul who are both battling. And because there's an ongoing battle, that means the godly soul did not totally conquer the animal soul. And they're battling. But on the other hand, this battler, this struggler, is able to win every struggle. So the, on the one hand, and I'm sorry if I'm being a little bit repetitious here, but I want this to be clear. When we talk about the actual action, the external actions, the external behaviors, a tzaddik and a bainini look the same. The tzaddik always does everything right, and the bainini always does everything right. On an external level, which means the actions, the speech, right, the thoughts, the tzaddik and the bainini both always do the right thing. The difference is what's going on inside. The tzaddik has vanquished the nefesh of Bahamas, so they're not struggling, and the bainini has that struggle and is always overcoming. So that's the that's the basic picture of the bainini. The rule of thumb: the bainini looks like the tzaddik externally, but internally the bainini has that struggle, that ongoing battle, and that's why they're not a tzaddik; they're a bainini. Now the question becomes: How does the bainini do it? A person who struggles, a person like the vast majority of people who have that nefesh abahamis and have that nefesh alukis and have the struggle through life, how does the bainini always overcome? How does the bainini always achieve success and always overcome the battles? That's really the discussion of this peric, peric yud beis, peric yud gimel, as the Alter Rebbe introduces us to the bainini, the struggler, and who always overcomes, and what their koach is, how they're able to do that. And that's, of course, bringing it back home to us, because we are people again, the vast majority of us, people who struggle and overcome or hope to overcome and hope to overcome more and to ultimately work on being the perfect Benini to always overcome. Okay, so that's the introduction to Perikud Base. So he starts off by saying, he says, the Benini is a person, I'll, I'll read a couple of words here in the Tanya, Shala Olam, Ein Hara Gover Kolkach, Lichbosh Esa Irktana. The Bainini is someone who the negative side never conquers the small city. Remember, we talked about the person being called the small city. Lahtio to actually make the person sin. The Bainini is in the place that he never actually sins. He says, in, in, in an action, in, word, in, in, uh, in uh, verbally, even in thinking, the Bainini doesn't dwell on thoughts of sins. It's the, it's the godly soul who always. Um, is victorious when it comes to the machshava, the dibur, the maisa, thought, speech, or deed. The Aljava says something very powerful. He says the Bainini is someone who never in his life sinned and never in their life will sin. That's the perfect Bainini, which sounds a little bit strange because that means anyone who ever had sinned one time can never be a Bainini anymore, which is obviously not the case. The Aljava says every person should strive to be a Bainini. And the Rebbe explains what he, what he means to be saying is, that a Bainini is someone who at the present moment is strong enough to stand up to every circumstance, to be victorious in every circumstance. When the Alter Rebbe says a Bainini never sinned and never Wilson, he doesn't mean that you have to have prophecy to know what's going to happen in the next 120 years. He means that a Bainini is at a place internally strong enough that come what may, they won't go against Hashem's will. As if they'll have a struggle, if they'll know of any struggle, they have the internal strength, the internal makeup to, to, um, to uh, fight any battle, to be victorious in any, any battle that the person internally has.
But how? What's the power of the Benini? What's the secret of the Benini? That there's an ongoing battle and always the ability to overcome. So the Al-Tarabi tells us the following. He says, even though when we think about the Benini, we're thinking primarily, primarily of a person who is most powerful in action and doing the right thing and saying the right thing, thinking the right thing. But as far as the feelings and the internal stuff, there's still that battle. There are times when a Benini also internally empowers and strengthens their Nefesh Olikis way above their Nefesh Abahamis. When is the Benini's high time? The high time of the Benini is davening. When a Benini davens every day. A davening is a time when a person works on themselves internally. Not, davening is not only about doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing and what mitzvah should I do, what should I not do. Davening is the daily time for inspiration where a person can internally also strengthen their nefesh or lakis over the nefesh of Bahamas. And the Rebbe devotes um, a significant um, a, a piece of this chapter to the Bainanese davening. And again, I think we have to talk about this in our terms. It's, he's devoting this to us because this is, for us, the message of davening. Whereas throughout the day, most of the day, we're not typically very inspired. It's more about doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. In order to be able to always do the right thing, we have to have times when we're truly inspired internally. And even the midos of our nefesh olokis are strengthened to be empowered over the animal soul. And that's davening. The Altarebbe says davening is a special shas hakosher. It's a time when above a person is given um, abilities that they don't normally have. And it's a time when a person can attain a level of spirituality that they cannot normally attain. And that davening the Altarebbe describes is made up of three steps. He says there is the contemplation, the thinking. Right? We always start with our seichel, with our understanding and thinking about Hashem and thinking about Torah, mitzvahs, and so on. So davening is a time of contemplation. And then it's a time of awakening feelings, Ahavas Hashem and Yiras Hashem, feelings of uh, emotional relationship with Hashem. And finally, davening is a time when we commit ourselves, because of those feelings, to want to connect to Hashem and not disconnect from Him. So when a person is davening, they're at their high point of their nefesh kisses being, the, 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 uh, the flame of the nefesh is being fanned, and at that point, the nefesh kiss is in total domination, if you will, over the person, over the nefesh abhamas, over the animal soul. And was, davening is not about just doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. It's the time when our nefesh kiss is plugged in, so to speak, is inspired to a much greater degree and level of devotion to Hashem. And he says, in fact, what's the center of davening? What's the centerpiece of our davening? And it's an interesting question because depending, there can be two correct answers to when we ask what's the centerpiece of davening. Many times people will say the centerpiece is Shemona Esri. And there's truth to that. Shemona Esri is the time when we ask for our requests from Hashem. So in some ways, Shemona Esri is the centerpiece. But in many ways, and here the focus is going to be more on Kriyashma. The Kriyashma, which is actually the only part of davening which is a Torah commandment, right? The uh, Shemona Esri is, is rabbinic. Uh, the Kriyashma is the Torah commandment. And the Kriyashma is the part of davening where a person could and should be most inspired. We talked about the three steps of uh, intellectual contemplation, um, emotion, 
and the commitment to action, all of those played themselves out in the Kriya Shema. Because if you think about it, the beginning of Shema is Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echod. That is contemplation. To think about the oneness of Hashem and think about the greatness of Hashem. Shema, which means to hear, means to contemplate, means to think about. And then we, we go off to, of course, to Ve'ahavtas Hashem Elokecha, to love Hashem. Bechalavavcha, or Bechal Nafshecha, Bechal Meidecha. That's the emotions of Kriyashma. Right? We start with the Shema, which is cont- contemplation, and we come to the emotions, which is Ve'ahavtas Hashem Elokecha. And then it continues. The commandments of Hashem and learning Torah to connect to Hashem. So really, if you think about it, in the actual Shema, in that first section of Shema, we have the three steps of contemplation, of emotional inspiration, and of devotion to connect, to want to connect and to connect to Hashem through His Torah mitzvahs. That's the actual creation. And then you have the whole building of the Birchos Kriyashma, the blessings that we say before and after Kriyashma, which is all to help us prepare and get into that mode. Right? Inspiration is not like a switch, obviously, that you just turn on and you're there. So the whole davening is built to be something that's inspiring to us and to inspire our nefesh or the kiss our godless So the Benini has that period of time in the day when the Benini works internally on their, on their, on, on, and strengthening, and strengthening the godly soul, the nefesh olakis, and its desire to connect to Hashem. And if you look at a bainani during davening, during a successful davening, then the bainani, even internally, is very, very connected to Hashem, and the animal soul would have no place there. During davening, a bainani doesn't struggle with their animal soul because their godly soul is, is flaming. So the animal soul is not going to come then and, and say, well, let's go do an Avera. When a person is very, very inspired spiritually, at that moment, they're not having desires to do an Avera typically. The Chovas Halavavos famously says that just like fire and water cannot coexist in one vessel, so too when the love of Hashem is in a state of inspiration, a person doesn't have desire to that which is negative, that which is against Hashem. So during, during davening, a bainani really looks like a tzaddik, even internally. During davening, the bainani doesn't have negative desires. During davening, there isn't a battle, because the godly soul is at full, at full mast, or at full flame, during the davening of the bainani. But that's only during davening. And this is the difference between the bainani and the tzaddik. The tzaddik is that way all day, because the tzaddik doesn't have the animal soul. The Benini during davening has that reprieve, if you will. During davening, there's no struggle. During davening, the godly soul is, is the winner. After davening, the Benini finishes davening. So now the animal soul wakes up. The animal soul took a nap, was put to bed for a little bit while the Benini davened. Now the animal soul wakes up. And after davening, the Benini goes back, reverts to the struggle of the two souls. Now the animal soul is back in play, and it says, well, I want what I want, and the godly soul wants what he wants. But being that the Benini davened and was inspired, that spills over to after davening. That even when there is this struggle, and even when the animal soul does express its will and desires and so on and so forth, the Benini is strengthened enough from that inspired experience that now he has the ability to always be successful in ten, telling the animal soul no, in, to be, in being victorious over it, 
in machshava, dibur, in maise, and thought, speech, indeed. But we'll say, but there's a, if there's a battle, how, how do you have the ability to overcome? And here the Alter Rebbe introduces what becomes a very important Tanya quote based on the Zayar, quote that uh, anyone who, who learned Tanya probably remembers the quote, which is, Hamoach Shalit Al-Halev. Hashem created a person, every person, every human being, Jew and non-Jew alike. Hashem gave us an ability that ultimately our mind is Shalit, rules over our heart, which means... The truth is, that concept of Moach Shalit Al-Halev, again, which is very known as a Tanya phrase, but it's rooted in the Zohar, has a number of steps of meaning. The mind um, rules over the heart. It, it, on the one hand, it means that the mind can bring the heart to have certain feelings. If we think about things, we create, uh, if we think about something, how good it is, that creates a feeling, a desire for it. That's one level of Moach Shalit Al-Halev. There's another level of Moach Shalit Al-Halev that the mind has such dominion over the heart that the heart doesn't even have a desire for something because the mind controls it that strongly. Uh, this famous story of one of the great Hasidim of the Alter Rebbe, I believe his name is Ramosha Meisels, uh, the, whole, the whole history behind the story, I'll just say the point. Uh, we know there was the, there was the great uh, war of Napoleon against the Russian armies and the Alter Rebbe was very much on the side of the Russian army, the Tsar, and the Alter Rebbe sent some of his great Hasidim to assist the Tsar's soldiers in their war effort against Napoleon, for reasons that we're not going to get into now. One of these chassidim was Ramosh Meisels, and he was a very brilliant man, he was very knowledgeable in many languages, and he was able to work himself up in the, as a spy, and he spied for the Tsar in the um, French army, and he was able to be in the, uh, the offices of the top generals of Napoleon. One time when they were there, and they were at the, in the war room, and the maps were out there, and he was there as a translator, and Napoleon himself rushed in, he ran over to this chassid, and he says, you're a spy. And he put his hand on his, um, Napoleon put his hand on the uh, chest of this chassid to see if, he, uh, if his heart would start beating um, stronger out of fear. He was just accused of treason by Napoleon, which could be a death sentence in a second. And the chassid stayed 100% calm, his heart didn't start beating stronger, and Napoleon said, okay, he's obviously not a spy. And the chassid said, it was the teaching of Tanya, of Moach, Shalat al-Halev, that saved me at that moment. Because my Moach, my mind, was so, so in control of my heart, that my heart didn't, didn't skip a beat. It didn't act fearful. Because I was trained by Tanya, of Moach, Shalat al-Halev, how much the mind can be in control of the heart. That's obviously a very high madriga, a very high level of Moach, Shalat al-Halev. On a simpler level, Moach, Shalat al-Halev means... That when one wants to do something, one has the ability to tell themselves no. As simple as that. And that's something that every, we all understand. All human beings understand that. If, a, if, if you take away from a person, then, he, then a person's an animal. Then the person's not in control of themselves. And a person was given the divine gift of we always have the ability to tell ourselves, no, I'm not going to do that. Or yes, I will do that even if I don't want to. Right? Many times we forgive ourselves by saying, well, I, I couldn't resist. I, I couldn't. But Tanya says that's not true. We could. It was difficult. But if we know what's right and we know what we have to do and we know what we could do, we have that ability to overcome. The problem is we don't necessarily want to enough. Right? only works if I really want to be in control. 
and I want to do the right thing, then even though I'm battling, I have the ability to overcome. And that's how the Benini works. On the one hand, the Benini davened. So being that the Benini davened at that time, the Benini was fully inspired and their godly soul was, 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 was flaming. And then they had perfect Abbas Hashem. And then the, the Nefesh Mamas was totally in, in control of, I'm sorry, the, the godly soul was totally in control of the animal soul. So then even after davening, that now the animal soul resurfaces and now the Benini also struggles, but the Benini can still use that power of Moach Shalat Al-Halev. And in fact, it's not just Moach Shalat Al-Halev. Rabbi uses the words, he says, that the Benini has that Rishima, which is, Rishima means like a mark that's left over from the davening. Being that in davening, the Benini was at that level of spiritual excitement and awakening and inspiration, so that spills over after davening, even during, even when they're struggling, to be able to always overcome and always be victorious over the desires of the, of the animal soul. He goes on and he says that this ability of the Benini, the ability of the Benini to overcome is for sure when it comes to action, to always do the right thing. And when it comes to speech, to say the right things and not to say things that, that one is not allowed to say. But even when it comes to machshava, even when it comes to thought, that the Benini has the ability to control their thoughts, not to think negative thoughts, not to think sinful thoughts and negative thoughts. And this is a little bit tricky. Because on the one hand, we're saying the Benini has a struggle. If they have a struggle, that means negative thoughts are coming into their mind. Because a struggle means that in my mind, I'm thinking maybe I should do this, or maybe I should do that. But then it says the Benini has control over the thoughts of their mind. So Hasidus explains, and it's alluded to here in Tanya as well, that when we talk about thought, there's really two steps of thought. There's the initial thought that comes from the heart to the mind, and then there is indulging that thought and thinking about it. And these are two distinctly different steps that both work in our minds. The first step, the Benini is going to have, because the Benini has an animal soul and a godly soul. Each one is going to send messages to the mind. And the mind is going to come up with a mind, a, a desire to think something negative, a desire to think something positive. The initial thought, even if it's a negative thought, will come to the Benini. But the Benini has the ability to control themselves. That he, the Benini could tell themselves, I am not going to indulge in that thought. I'm not going to continue thinking about that. I'm not going to allow that thought space in my mind. And that sounds like a very powerful... That takes a lot of kayak. That takes a lot of kayak. But the Altair says that we can do it. Every person can do it. Every person can control not what comes into their mind, but whether they're going to keep it there or they're going to push it aside and think about something else. And he says, we have the ability to, 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 um, to actually take control and say, I'm not going there. I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about something else. He says, especially if instead of those negative thoughts, we turn our minds to thoughts of Kedusha, thoughts of Torah, thoughts of mitzvahs, because then we have the added power that Kedusha naturally has over what's not Kedusha, what's not holy. He brings a Pasuk from Shlomo HaMelech in Kohelis, where Shlomo HaMelech says, and this is a Pasuk that's brought in Tanya in different places in different contexts, but from the Zohar, Shlomo HaMelech says, V'ra'isi, I've seen she'esh yisro machachma min asichlus. There is an advantage to wisdom over silliness. Ki yisro ha'or min ha'choshech, like the advantage of light over dark. The Zohar talks about this and asks, you know, what's the big, uh, what was the great statement of Shlomo HaMelech? 
that wisdom is greater than silliness, like light over dark. But but the desire explains that kedusha is more powerful than klipa, just like light is more powerful than dark. If you bring light light into a room, there's not a real battle between light and dark. If you bring a light into a room, it becomes light. Darkness is dispelled automatically by light. Even, as we know the, the quote, even ma'at'or docha'har becheshech. Even a little bit, a little candle in a big room, a big dark room, a little bit of candle dispels a lot of light, and it does it automatically. And that's a power of kedusha over klipa, of holiness over unholiness. And therefore the Altar says, if a person in their mind is struggling with negative thoughts, and those thoughts are plaguing them very, very difficult, so... When a person takes their mind and he says, you know what, I am now going to think about thoughts of Torah, thoughts of Tefillah, thoughts of Kedusha, thoughts of a mitzvah, that gives the person an extra ability to overcome those negative thoughts. And therefore he says, this then becomes the hallmark of the Benini. That because of their initial davening, because of their times of inspiration where their godly soul internally it overcomes their, their animal soul, so then even after davening, when, there's, when the battle is there again and the animal soul is expressing its opinion, the Benini has the ability to overcome. For sure he says indeed, never to do an Avera, always to do a Mitzvah. And even and 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 in not to speak, speak words that are negative. And even Machshava not to let their not not to let the Bainini's mind indulge in negative thinking, but to transform them into positive thinking. Yes. Rabbi Silverberg, is that why the Eight Sahara comes to you during davening? <laughs> it's like you're so many times. You know, I know for myself, my mind wanders. You know, you're davening, and it's like, look at that. Like, it's it's so powerful, and then look what. I'm just wondering about that. Okay, so first of all, it's only you, right? Don't don't cast this on everyone else. You know, it's uh, that's number one. But but uh, number two is you're 100 percent right. The reason why the Yitzhara is very active during davening is because that's the time that it it is at the greatest danger, at the greatest risk, because we're in a place of the greatest inspiration and greatest holiness. It knows now it's got to fight back or else. And in fact, much later in Tanya, we have time till we get there, but in chapter 28, the Altarabbas says exactly that point. He says that a person who their, who their mind wanders during davening, they're trying to daven and their mind wanders, he says, take it as a compliment that the Sahara feels so threatened that it has to try every tactic in the book. And he says, he says a physical metaphor, he says that when your two people are fighting, when one person is being victorious over the other, so the other one fights back with all their last kaychas because they feel they're losing the battle. And the Altarebbe really says that. He says, he says rather than being sad and depressed and upset that one's mind wandered during davening when they were trying to daven, one should understand that that's an indication that their davening has been quite successful. So much so that the Yitzhar is really kicking back. But, but there's no question that davening is the most powerful avoida of the day internally for the Benini. I hope I'm being clear that the davening by the in, during davening the Benini is like in Sadiq land because even internally they're overcoming their Nefesh Abhamas. Now when the Benini does that well after davening they're able to be victorious in Benini land. 
in a place where there is the struggle and there is everything going on, but the, the davening was strong enough to lead, give the Beinuni the Koyach after davening to win again and again and again and again. In other words, I think what's important to point out, it's not just that the Beinuni is a very, very good, uh, has very strong self-discipline. See, sometimes we think, you know, Beinuni is just someone who's so self-disciplined, they always make the right decisions. The way the Rebbe gives it to us is not that way. It's not just because of very powerful self-discipline. It's because there's a very powerful internal avoida going on by the Benini. An avoida of, of internal hisairus, of awakening the, the godly soul in davening and contemplating and thinking and arousing those feelings of and the devotion of davening and then to be able to carry that after davening and the Rishimo, the mark that's left after davening, to be able to control all the Maisa and Dibur and even Machshava, not to allow after davening that the Nefesh should conquer. But it only works till tomorrow. That's why we have to daven every day. In other words, because a person constantly needs to be inspired internally in order to be able to be victorious externally as well. Oh, um, Brother um you explained just a little bit about that when you daven, then it takes, you know, it, it helps you during the rest of the day. So, I, I mean, yeah, I work out in the morning and they always say in the working out that if you work out in the morning, you, you know, you're going to feel it for the rest of the day. But, like, how is it, you know, that the davening holds us, like, brings us and allows us to overcome, you know, all those things? What is it about, you know, um, the kreichis and everything that we're doing during that time that gives us the energy, like you're saying, until tomorrow when you have to daven again? So, like, like it, I don't think... You right. explain that. I understand. Very, very well asked. So, so again, there is, as a Yid, as a from Yid, I know what Hashem wants me to do. Right? So I'm, I'm basically, I devote myself, I'm a, I'm a Yid, I accept Torah mitzvahs, so I have Kabbalah, so Malch, Shamayim, I want to do the right thing. And that's what, I, that's what we generally want to do. And yet, as we all know, just doing is becomes difficult because it's another struggle and another battle and another struggle. So it's difficult to always win. So therefore, we have to dig deeper and go to the places where these desires are coming from. The godly desire, the animal desire, the, the nefesh alakis and nefesh abhamis desires. Now, they battle during davening. After davening, we're dealing sort of with the outcome. Okay, so what am I going to do? Am I going to do this or am I not going to do this? But what about the internal feelings, the desires, the wants? What are my primary wants? There's the wants of the godly soul. There's the wants of the animal soul. During davening is the time when I am inspiring and connecting to the ritzonos, the deeper wants and desires and midos of the godly soul. And it's at that time that the godly soul is overcoming, being stronger than the desires of the animal soul. So like I said before, during davening, the bainini is like a little tzaddik. During davening, there's no inter. The, the, the animal soul is also quiet. It's the godly soul that shines during davening. So it's at that time that I'm digging deep. Is that time I'm becoming inspired of what I really want and why I want it and why I'm inspired to want it. Now, an hour later, two hours, three hours, four hours later, I'm still living off the tail of that inspiration. It's like, let's like, uh, I'm, I'm saying uh, an example, but a person knows they want something. 
So they keep on doing it. But they forget, you know, why do they want it? And that inspiration that got them all excited about it in the first place, sometimes we forgot. And we need to constantly remind ourselves and re-inspire ourselves to be strong enough to actually act it out and carry it out. I was inspired last year. And because of that, it's a year later and I'm struggling and I'm still doing what I was inspired for then. I don't remember that inspiration. Even if I remember it intellectually, I don't remember it emotionally. The davening is the daily dosage of getting in touch with my nefesh alikis, my godly soul, which is the source of all my inspiration and why I want to do the right things. So when I inspired myself and I woke myself in, that, in, the, in the morning during that davening, and now the rest of the day, now the, the struggle comes up, but I'm, I'm still, again, living off that, or I still feel closely connected to the inspiration of why and what it is that I want to really do. And that gives me the kayak throughout the day. And that's the avoid of the Benini. So when we think about the Benini, and again, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going to be repetitious, whereas typically people might um, you know, qualify the Benini as just someone who always does the right thing. You know, on an external level, they always win. That's true, but there's a reason why what gives them the koach to always win. And that's because on an internal level, they do their avoida, which is primarily through by, by, by davening and preparation for davening. And as we know by Hasidim, there's always a tremendous emphasis on davening. You know, so much so that the, the rabbi, our rabbim of Lubavitch instructed us that it's better to eat before davening and learn before davening in order to be inspired, in order to daven better. Because davening was seen as a very, very central part of our avoida throughout the day, to be able to tap into our godly soul, our nefesh alikis, and through that, to be able to use that and overcome throughout the day later as well. So, um, as he goes through the Perik, as he goes through the Perik, he really keeps on going back and forth. It's, it's, I'm not reading the Perik with you inside, although I definitely encourage you to open a Tanya when you're able and read it inside. In the Perik, he keeps on going back and forth. On the one hand, the Benini always wins. On the other hand, there's a struggle, so they're not a tzaddik. But being, even though there's a struggle, they have the ability to overcome it because of their davening and because of the, the strength that they, that they um, inspired within themselves. And again, I repeat, he says, that strength is strong enough for Maisa, for Dibur, and even for Machshava, even when it comes to thoughts, to be, to be able to take control of what is at, what I'm actually going to think about with my mind. There's a... Uh, Famous story, I think it was the Magid of Mezrich, who was the Alter Rebbe's Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe's teacher, who someone came and he complained to him, he said about um, that his mind wanders in all different types of places and he doesn't have control. How, how, can, how can he control his mind? How can he control his mind? And the Magid said, you know what, go to a certain disciple of mine and see if he, uh, if he can teach you how to control your mind. So... Um, story is, he went, to the, he went to the house, he found the house of the Talmud, and he knocked on the door and it was late at night, and he sees from the window that this disciple is inside and he's learning, but he's not answering the door. He knocks again, knocks again. He ends up standing outside for hours, outside in the cold at night, and, um, and, and the guy's ignoring him. He's learning, he's davening, whatever he's doing, but it was clear that he was being ignored. And finally, after a long time, he let him in. And then he warmed up, and then at some point, he says, so what do you want? He says, well, the Magid sent me to you to ask you how I can control my mind. So he says, I already answered your question. Says, we didn't talk about it either. He said, I showed you that this is my home. Only someone who I allow into the home comes into my home. I left you outside a couple of hours to show you that if this is my home, I'm in charge here. 
and no one that's not wanted in my home, I don't open the door. And that was the, was, obviously we're talking about that tzaddik, about Ruach HaKadosh, but he said, the, the person, we have the kayak. We have a kayak not only to do the right thing, not only to speak the right thing, we have the kayak to, to decide what we're going to allow our mind to indulge in, our mind to think. And, and machshava is such a powerful tool. What we think about is very, very powerful. You know, the Rebbe will talk about tracht gut ved sein gut. Right? You know, a person could let their mind wander into negative places. This might happen, and this might happen, and this could happen, and I have so many reasons why this might happen. And we could worry and be depressed and upset. That's, and yet, the Rabbi tells us, no, we have the ability to think differently. We have the ability to take control and say, no, I'm not thinking of that way. I'm thinking a different way. I'm thinking of the way the Torah tells me to think about things. And the same is with any thoughts. That we have that koyach to take control of our thoughts. And this is the koyach of the Benani. So, I know I've heard that story so many times, and I'm like, okay, so you said he had Ruach HaKodesh, it's like, so he knew that the chassid was coming to his house, and that was the question that he had, that he didn't let him in, <laughs> you know? That's what it sounds like from the story. <laughs> right? So, so he had Ruach HaKodesh to know that he knew what the altar, like, right, he knew the question that they didn't let him in. Whatever. Yeah. So that's like one question, but... Um, so the other thing is, I meant to ask this and I forgot, is so you have chakras and then you have mincha, so you have the davening, you know, then you have the tehillim that could hold you, and then, like, I mean, I don't daven mar, but I, I do say krishna, I mean, a woman obligated to daven mar, so, like, you have, you know, there's two parts to that question, so you have different part, different times during your day to, you know, to connect and, you know, um, get that kayak again and again and again, you right. know? that's correct, so, that's correct. Primary, pri- the, the, the primary of Veda was always looked at as chakras. Um, although there are three tefillahs of a day, and yes, a woman is not obligated in Mayrif, as we know. Um, so there is chakras, there is mincha, which are obligation for man and woman, and there is Mayrif, which is not for women an obligation. But nevertheless, the, the primary of Veda with the hachana, with the inspiration, was always chakras, because that's the beginning of the day. Right? The day follows chakras. But at the same time, there's definitely a concept of re-inspiring ourselves and there's another tefillah and there's a tehillim and so on and so forth and yeah we have the kayak there's no exact measurement of how much every person needs and some people need more and some people need less and on some days we need more and some days we need less right a person is um, not a machine we're, we're, we're in a state of flux and there are times when we have to inspire ourselves more and sometimes it works better sometimes it doesn't again this is very open-ended as far as how much and how many times but the concept is there. The concept is that we have that ability to climb into that area, strengthen ourselves, strengthen our nefesh, case over our nefesh of Amis, and then carry that over to the various struggles that we're inevitably going to face throughout the day. Now, in the, in the very last chapter, in the very last part of the chapter, the Altarebbe says that all of this is true with all types of machshava and all types of positive thinking and negative thinking, and it's also bin adam lechavero. It's also the way we're, we naturally respond, even in our minds, to actions of others. He says, there is machshava that's negative in relationships with others. Sometimes we get angry at someone else, right? We get angry, we get um, upset, hurt, insulted. And what do we do many times? We dwell on it. Even if 
I'm not going to do anything to that person. Right? I'm not going to actually exact revenge from them. I would never do revenge. But just dwelling on that in our mind, oh, how that person hurt me and that person was not right and I was wrong, all of that is negative feelings. And the Benini, who's really always on their game and always going to take control, not only of Misa, not only of action, but also of speaking the right things and also of thinking the right things, the Benini, when it comes to Ben Adam Lechavero as well, doesn't allow their mind to dwell on these negative types of feelings and thoughts. And even if they were taka, truly hurt, they don't allow themselves to dwell on it. Now, it's important to note, and because typically that comes up, of course, one has to think about how to protect themselves. We're not talking about that. One has the, uh, according to Torah, one must protect themselves and think about that and know how to. But the negative side of it, and the feelings of anger, and the feelings of insulted, and the feelings of hurt, all of those feelings are something that a person has the kayak, has the ability to overcome and take full control of. And again, we have the ability when we want to do something wrong, not only to push it aside, but to do the opposite, to do goodness. And the Al-Tarabah finishes off the period by talking about the greatest example of someone who was hurt, but not only didn't they allow themselves to dwell on the negative, they turned around and repaid it with positivity. Who am I talking about? Yosef HaTzadik. Right? The story in Chumash. Yosef HaTzadik is someone who was hurt, he had every reason in the book to be traumatized and to be hurt and to be forever upset at his brothers who wanted to kill him and sold him into slavery and ultimately had him. he was in jail for 10 years. Yosef Tzadik was very, very hurt by others. And he had every right in the book to be angry and to be hurt and to be insulted and to be traumatized and so on and so forth. And what does the Torah tell us? Very clearly. The Torah says the brothers came down to Mitzrayim and he becomes their benefactor. He takes care of them. And using the word, again, the al is always quoting from the Zayar. The Zayar says, this becomes for us the ultimate model of Lil Mi Yosef Im Echov. That we have the ability to learn from the way Yosef treated his brothers. Those who heard him, those who meant, who meant to hurt him, and the attacker heard him. And nevertheless, he was able to find it in his heart, not only not to exact revenge, and not only to dwell on it with negativity, but to repay their negative their neg- what they did negatively with positivity, with mitzvahs, with taking care of them, with, with uh, being their benefactor. And in fact, how is that possible? How does that even make sense? So Yosef HaTzadik explained it in the Chumash. He says, because look, Hashem made this happen, and it was all for a good reason. Yosef had the ultimate approach of when something negative happens to a person to recognize that it's from Hashem. And it's for a good reason. And Gamzulatova. And even though the person who did the negative thing to me didn't know about the good reason, they meant they didn't have error. But for me, I'm not angry and upset and insulted and hurt. I recognize that this person was acting ultimately as an agent of Hashem. I'm able to take control of my thoughts, take control of my speech, take control of my action, and to do and to respond in the way that Hashem wants me to respond today. So, of course, we're talking about things that are way, way easier said than done. We're talking about the tremendous avoida of life. But this is the avoida of the Benini. The Benini is the one who knows how to take control of themselves. They can take control of their, their action, of their speech, and of their thought. And it's because of and through the inspiration, the times that they go inward and work internally on awakening and their godly soul, the nefesh and overcoming the nefesh of the animal soul. And that's the, uh, in the short version of Perik Yudbeis, chapter Yudbeis, the first Perik devoted to the Benini, the, the master of taking control 
as a result of internal inspiration in the times that are granted for that as well. So it's, uh, he's an unbelievable person. Sometimes we think, wow, that's a tzaddik. The Alter Rebbe says, no, not a tzaddik. Because there's, there's battle. There's an Efesh Bahamas. And yet, using that two-step approach of the davening inspiration, and then carrying that over, the uh, Rishimu, the mark of that, carrying it over to the rest of the day, the Ben is able to act like a tzaddik always, and feel like a tzaddik during davening. And that's really the Benini. During davening, feels like a tzaddik, the, the godly soul is in total expression, and later throughout the day, doesn't feel that way, but is able to act that way because of the control that is born out of the Yisairus, the inspiration through davening, and then he's able to use the Mayach Shalat Alev, as we talked, and he's able to use that to overcome and transform any negative thoughts and, and desires into something positive. That's the avoid of the Benini. That's Perikud Beis. And next week we'll do part two of the Benini, which is Perikud Gimel, chapter 13, a continuation of these thoughts. Right, so that, yeah. Sure. It, it almost seems like